Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Here at William Hill, you'll find pre-game and in-play cricket odds on loads of competitions. From test matches to one-day internationals, T20s and domestic cricket, we've got everything covered. Visit WilliamHill.com 18+. Please gamble responsibly. William Hill, it's who you play with. Season 4 of Middle Please Umpire is sponsored by Step 1. Hello and welcome to Middle Please Umpire. I am Miles Jupp and I'm joined as ever by 96.3 mile an hour uh, fast bowler Mark Wood. Hello Mark. Hello Miles, how are you? Feeling alright actually, recovered from my fall. Um, Mm. I've made one big purchase this week. Uh, I'm going to... An arm guard? No, no. Helmet? It is only very... A chest guard? It's only very loosely cricket related. Um, Oh... Um, one spike. No, no. Uh, what do you play cricket on? Uh, a wicket. Right, and what is the grass? Wicket? Yes, grass. What might you buy if you want your grass to be all lush and green? Spripping. <laughs> Please think less laterally. Uh, what would you buy if you look at the garden and you think, oh, I'd love to make that all lush and green? And... Oh, a lawn. No, no. I've got, I've got a, I've got a lawn. I'm just, I'm trying to help it along. Oh, water. Water. Well, what do you think I've got to help, help? Help disperse water. I've bought something, Mark. Oh my god! Uh, if you have, I've got a hose. Something I plug into that the hose into that makes the water go all over the grass. Come on! Is it? Is it a, a um, like a like a hose? They made by hose lock. Yeah. What would you put? Mine is what? Come on! What comes on when you when 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 you know, a fire in a hotel? What suddenly comes on? Fire alarm. Oh, my God. It involves, it involves water. This is like telling the children to put their shoes on. <laughs> just put them on. It's Velcro. You don't even need to just just put them on. You can't go to school in your socks, can you? You can't go to school in your socks. What, what are they called, the spoke things? Yeah. It, it begins with an S. Sprinkler. Yes! There we go. There we go. Well, that's seven minutes. We'll never get back. Um <laughs> 
<laughs> I bought. I bought. That's my my big purchase this week, Mark. I bought a sprinkler for the garden. And how's that loosely related to cricket? Is, are you thinking from the celebration point of view, or from? I'm the thinking. Well, I wasn't thinking. I wasn't away. thinking from the celebration point of view, but of course, that's that would have been a better shortcut than the uh, circuitous route that we went on. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, because of, the groundsman would have a series of them, wouldn't he, to keep the uh, the outfield and the wicket lush. And loam, and you'd have seeds, which I've already mentioned. Yeah, no, you said a number of things. All, all, all you needed to say was the right one. Um, anyway, so I went, I thought, I really fancy one. So I went down to the DIY shop, bottom of town, bought one. Guess what the weather's been like since I bought a sprinkler? Wet. Fucking soaking. Um, so you see that? You see how I got that straight away? Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's, it so was just. We're on an even keel now. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's a little bit Monty Panasar mastermind ish to start with. Listen, anyone can get on Mastermind and go to pieces, Mark. I'll tell you, I will tell you that for nothing. You try going on Mastermind 48 hours after you've had a house purchase fall through. And I tell you that... Have you, did, when you were on Mastermind, did you do Michael Atherton as your, as your um, subject or Notorious DIG? I don't know why you think that. No, well, I've done both. I've, d- I've done Athers in about 2011 or 12, and then, and then I did something called Champion of Champions, which I think it really should be called... Available of availables, uh, and that that time I, you're not allowed to repeat your topic. So that time I did DIG, and I did considerably worse. By which I mean I came I came last. I got Mark Robinson. When you when you did Athos, did you get any wrong? No, why would I? Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> no. No, you don't need to be so touchy. <laughs> I didn't. No, I didn't. I didn't get any wrong. I got one right though that I'd only learnt that day when I was sort of speed reading his autobiography again on the on the train although you might get your own back today because I'm sure we're speaking to somebody that I admire that's right yeah we've got uh, a Reekerleniak from Baywatch no <laughs> we are we are going to be speaking to one of Woody's heroes later I just want you quickly to tell me how you are Woody you're wearing a cap backwards you're forgiven uh, but tell us how you are otherwise um, I'm feeling good the weather's good it looks like almost perfect spring weather here in the northeast um once I get my seed down, I think it'll it'll produce a hard and fast wicket. But uh, the test team's out. Oh yes, of course. I briefly looked at that. There were, I think it's fair to say, zero surprises. Yes. Um, so well, we've got who, Matt, Matty Potts and Durham. He's in. Yeah. Someone like Brooke. That's that's a form pick, isn't it? And people have had their eyes on him for a while. But that's you know, I think that's exciting. The positive thing is that no matter if the personnel is the same or if it was completely different, I think it would be. It would feel different because we're not like a new captain, a new coach, so there'll be new ideas, like fresh ideas. So no matter if it was the same players or different, I think hopefully it's I don't know, but maybe it's more of a mindset thing rather than a selection thing that might feel different, I guess. How many steps are you coming in off at the moment? Still still the similar, still half run, trying to crank it up. Why don't we just agree that we should play have a net where our ball and you bat? I think it'll be good for both of us. Yeah. I uh, I can't imagine being more frightened, but yeah, I think it would be good. Um, uh, only I may, the only condition is you have to put up with me bowling at you. You'll be just leaning. You'll be leaning on your back as ball after ball goes into the side netting or lands on the roof or whatever. <laughs> what kind, what kind of feedback would you like? Like good try or or next one? Just yeah, any any day now. Um, <laughs> yeah. One brings two. One brings two. Just just try and just just get your arm as high as you can. Stop crying, Miles. Stop crying. <laughs> Sometimes the yips lasts for four decades. Don't panic. Uh, it'll be fine. Um, now then, uh, let's have a look at our mailbag, shall we? 
Uh, this first one is from Ross uh, Trelevin. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, Ross. Uh, this is an unusual injury. Uh, I thought I'd add to this category with the admission I have been run over by a sight screen before a ball had been bowled. Uh, thanks to our skipper, nicknamed Shagwell, Oh dear, well let's not go into that. Uh, forgetting the key to the gate, we'd been locked out of our ground at Topsham St James in Devon. We were in a bit of a rush to set things up for our first game of the season, so I was moving the sight screen with some young guns. They decided to show off by pushing the screen as fast as they could, while I was still trying to straighten it up. Long story short, I was mowed down and had my foot crushed by one of the bars. Luckily, I still managed to bowl, like Woody. I give everything for the team. Uh, well, I'm sorry to hear about this harrowing injury, uh, but uh, thank I'm, I'm pleased that you bounced back. That is, they are. That would definitely be heaviest item ever dropped on your foot in the Super Rover, wouldn't it? They are horrific. I can't, those games where the sight screen is actually on the pitch for some reason. So, well, I was playing at the nursery ground at Lords once and I was chasing a ball, not very effectively. And I stopped because I thought, hang on a minute, I'm going to run into the. What's it doing there? I don't, I don't understand legally how it's allowed. Anyway, I, I didn't kick up a fight. I saw a thing. I saw a thing the other day where there was a road, in the, an actual road in the middle of the pitch, and you get the ones where there's trees and stuff. Yeah. There was a road in the middle of the pitch. I saw it on, um, it must have been Instagram or something, where he looked down the wicket, and the wicket was obviously a grass wicket, but the, the whole field couldn't cover the grass area. So about three quarters of the way through the field on one side was a an actual road passing through the... Uh, presumably Cricket's Express to over traffic. Davey, near the Honda. That's it. Back That's trouble. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, this next one is uh, Chris Eyes again from uh, New Zealand. I played cricket for Brunelbund Cricket Club in Scotland for a couple of seasons, and I re- remember one of my first games with them was also one of my worst. Myself and another overseas player were asked to do an all-night security job before a game in Dundee. Being desperate for cash, we agreed. It turns out not getting any sleep a night before a game has an extremely adverse effect on one's ability to play the game, as I was dismissed LBW to a dibbly-dobbly bowler for a golden duck, conceded 10 and over from four wild overs, and dropped a catch over the boundary for six. I took more care in future preparation and eventually earned my stripes for the club, but that was not a great start. Uh, also, playing for my club in Taupo, uh, New Zealand, I was once dismissed while standing at square leg. I'd earlier pulled a hammy and was batting with a runner when the non-striker was run out after a full-blooded straight drive had clipped the bowler's finger and crashed into the stumps, catching my runner out of his crease. I thought, well, that's unlucky. And it took me a few hours before I realised I was the one out (laughs) once all eyes turned towards me. I simply turned and trudged off, grinning blindly at the majesty of cricket. That is amazing that that can happen to you. We've got a shark bus update from Asif. Uh, I wanted to update you on the current status of the Auckland shark bus, having made some investigations. I'm currently planning, so this is the shark bus we were talking about with Lockie Ferguson. Uh, I'm currently planning a trip to New Zealand with my family and hearing about this iconic bus, I looked it up to add to my itinerary. However, I have found some possibly disturbing news. I'm afraid it's gone the way of the right-hand give way. I don't believe this. It's nothing sacred. The bus has been sold. <laughs> Take pride in your history. There's just one, one guy driving around his shark a shark bus all the time now well, let's, it's been sold uh, the bus has been sold to an insurance company for a rather princely sum for an old bus of 31,500 New Zealand dollars after what was described as a bidding frenzy should be a feeding frenzy shouldn't it for a shark bus anyway, good news is that the shark bus is still prowling the streets of Auckland as a marketing gimmick but sadly it no longer takes you to the aquarium Maybe it can be used as your tour bus when Middle Please Umpire finally makes its long-awaited World Stadium tour. Uh, hopefully this news hasn't further dented Miles' love of New Zealand. You can't dent my love of New Zealand, but that is that is a shame. That really is a shame. 
any spottings of the shark bus, any new listeners in New Zealand, uh, particularly Auckland, obviously, uh, do write in. Uh, and if, if anyone has spotted a cricket on a shark bus, I promise you, I will fucking lose it. Uh, anyway, um, that would be good. <laughs> that would be amazing. Okay, this is uh, from Neil Dutton. Uh, afternoon, chaps. Uh, after hearing Miles talk about how he believed he could put Woody off should he ever have to bat against him, it reminded me of a time my trusty vice captain and I engaged in showmanship, bordering in show business, in order to dislodge an obdurate opponent. With the score on 18 for nothing after 10 overs, my accomplice at wicketkeeper caught yet another leave and immediately started swinging the first line of the hauntingly beautiful ballad on my own from Les Miserables. After the next dot ball, I sang the next line. The third ball without a run produced the third line, and so was the case with the fourth. The keeper was just about to launch into Sometimes I walk alone at night when everybody else is sleeping after the fifth ball and when the batsman took an almighty swing at a straight ball and was bowled neck and crop. <laughs> <laughs> On his way from the wicket, he turned to us and declared himself glad to be away from you two fucking weirdos. <laughs> 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 Some people have no appreciation of culture. We lost by 120 runs in the end, but still, we dream the dream. Uh, that, is, that, is, that sounds like excellent mind games. Um, well, there are still some categories open, of course, uh, for the Middle East umpire mailbag. Um, uh, that's cricketers spotted in everyday places. We've obviously widened out the just of it. The dream is a cricketer on the shark bus. Uh, it must have happened. Uh, unusual injuries. We've had our uh, uh, upsetting sights, for example, for the day. Uh, any names for cricketers where they did become WWE wrestlers? Worst games you've played in or any uh, umpiring incidents? Hi, it's David Gower here. Uh, yes, it's me. Look, it's it's slightly embarrassing, but look, Mark and Miles, they've, they've forgotten the email address again. So look, if you've got any cricketing tales, stories, whatever it might be you want to send to them, please email them at middlepleas at hotmail.com. Um, and if that's too much, well, try Twitter or Instagram. Time to introduce our guest. Uh, Mark, would you like to guess who our guest is? Lewis Moody. Yeah! It is indeed Lewis Moody. Middle Please Umpire is proud to be sponsored by Step One Underwear, the UK's choice for comfortable, breathable and no-chafe boxers. Step One believes great achievements start with getting the basics right. So delivering maximum comfort while you're compiling your century or coming in for your third spell of the day is all important. Step One's stylish boxers are worn by elite cricketers and sports people the world over. But why do they wear them? Well, they completely eliminate chafing with their ultra-glide panels, which prevent your thighs from rubbing together. So get rid of the baby powders, lotions, or whatever other remedy you use. They have got your thighs covered. Not only that, they're ethically made, sourced from sustainably grown organic bamboo, making them super soft, antibacterial, and breathable, keeping your, and I can't believe I'm saying this, meat and two veg dry all day, whether you're on the pitch or going about your other everyday shenanigans. It's not just gentlemen who get to enjoy the comfort of Step 1, they have a women's boxer range as well. Step 1 are so confident that you'll love them that there's a 30-day money-back guarantee on your first purchase. If you don't like your first pair, for whatever reason, they will give you a full refund and you get to keep the pants. So you can try them out completely risk-free. 
Best of all, for a limited time, listeners of Middle Please Umpire, that's you, can get a whopping 30% off the entire range. Just head to step1.life and enter the code MP30 at checkout. See what the fuss is all about and make Step 1 an essential part of your daily chafe and sweat-free living. Step 1. Get some. William Hill's Safer Gambling Tools helps you stay in control. You can set deposit limits, session reminders, and take timeouts whenever you need them. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly. William Hill is who you play with. Welcome to uh, this episode, Lewis Moody. Hello, Lewis. Morning. Hello, Lewis. Now, Mark, Mark Mark's already become come over a bit shy. This is This is sort of equivalent, I guess, to when we had Mike Atherton on the podcast, who is my all-time hero, and I became... I thought I'd felt all right with it, but Mark says I was a quivering wreck and asked 45 questions to Mark's two. Um, so, yeah, we've got uh, some hero worship here. So tell, tell us about uh, your relationship to, to Lewis Moody then, Mark. Just, oh, thanks for embarrassing us, Miles. Um, just lay it all out there. I reckon that when I was so when I was a kid, I, I would say in my top three sportsmen, Lewis Moody would have been in there. I like Lennox Lewis. Well. I'm not expecting Lewis to fight Lennox Lewis, but Lewis Moody would have definitely been in me. Top three as well, and uh, Neil Ardley, the, the Wimbledon footballer, because I supported Wimbledon. So, yeah, I loved uh, I loved watching Lewis play, and um, to have a nickname like Mad Dog, you must be pretty good. So, uh, I absolutely loved loved watching him. Mate, I don't know whether I don't know whether the nickname Mad Dog describes the quality of my play, or rather the sort of insanity <laughs> with which I played. You know, the skill level was probably yeah. down here, and the enthusiasm was high, very high. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, mate, that's nice. Thank you. But the enthusiasm then. So t- tell us about, about going, say, from being like a – so getting to where you got to. Say if you're a promising or enthusiastic schoolboy rugby player, how do you get to, to where you get? Is it about – does something click? Do you change the way you're doing things? Or do you realise how good you are and then and then you've got to build on it? What What is that journey? Well, that's, that's a really good question. Um I think if if I reflect on my career, it was just one of those sports I fell in love with really quickly. I suppose I was really lucky in the sense that I had some great teachers and coaches. I always found at school, I wasn't particularly academic um, and sport was my outlet. And and I had some wonderful coaches that, you know, inspired me to, to want to, I suppose, make the most out of my career. I had a great degree of you know, self-belief when it came to my rugby, which I didn't have in any other walk of life, I suppose, you know, academia, you know, my self-confidence was fairly low socially at times. Um, so, so sport was definitely the outlet for me. And to have a couple of coaches, there was a guy called Andy Walsenholm, Brian Welford and Ian Dosser-Smith, who was also a, a Tigers player who coached my my first team rugby side. Um, and, and those three between them, you know, just instilled various different elements into me, but a real love for the game and and helped me along the way without a shadow of a doubt, you know, having having people in the right place that can sometimes just give you a foot up on the ladder, uh, I found has been, you know, sort of pivotal during my career. And, and I got moved from, I used to play centre mark when I was, uh, when I was, well, all the way through my career until I was 17, basically the year I left school, I got moved to the back row I think they realised my uh, my level of uh, catching and passing maybe wasn't standard, <laughs> and my desire to want to smash everything was probably more suited to the forwards. Um, but yeah, so one of the coaches moved me during a, like a county trial, and that was it. So at the age of seventeen, I played my first back row game. A year and a half later, I played my first professional game in the back row. It was mad. But so yeah, 
I, I, a, I love the game uh, and inner belief in my ability on a rugby field combined with some some luck and, and some wonderful coaches, I suppose. So, so was it was it always rugby? Or did you play other sports growing up as well? No, I loved all sports, absolutely all sports. Um, rugby was my probably my passion because it was the physical outlet. Um, I dabbled in football. You know, I couldn't kick a ball for Toffee, but um, let's say stuck me in goal. We used to have to get defenders to come and take the goal kicks. <laughs> <laughs> I think they thought I'd just terrify the attackers when they came near the box, which which did which I did try. But cricket was probably my other, you know, my my other favourite sport. I loved cricket. Played it with my dad as a young man. You know, watched them at Warfield Cricket Club. You know, from the age of two till you know whatever, whenever we left. Um, and and I loved I loved playing cricket. The sad thing for me was that in my sixth form years at school I'd I'd broken into the into sort of the junior international rugby sides and rugby at my school at Oakham only lasted till Christmas um and the, the international junior internationals happened beyond Christmas um so I needed to stay fit and I got I got offered uh, I played one game for the first team at school which I loved um only got one wicket I was a rather erratic fast bowler I could imagine you sledging people as well. I'd be absolutely scared if you if you were coming, if you're bigger than the rest of the kids. You were coming down, be thinking, "Oh, I'm not saying too much." Yeah, yeah. You'd already have sort of closed your eyes before you got into a delivery stride. I imagine. Yeah, energy and enthusiasm was exactly the same as the way I played my rugby. An 800 meter run up, which meant I was just about spent by the time I got the ball, the ball, bowl, the ball. <laughs> oh, you lent in your run up as well. You see, Woody, it's see, it's for everyone. <laughs> so, how how far were you able to take cricket then? You you played first first at school. And would you, but like in junior teams, would you be playing like under 14s, under 15s? Yeah, so I, play, I played cricket all the way through. Um, I didn't play any, uh, any county or anything like that, but first team was the highest level I got to at school. Um, when when I left school, and well, so the, the summer I left school, I joined Leicester Tigers. So it was my first, I literally went from schoolboy rugby to, to men's rugby in a, in a summer. And that sort of curtailed my ability to play much more cricket after that. So the games that I played were, you know, charity matches. We had so many great players. So Sam Vesti, who's coaching Northampton Saints now, Tim Stimson, who is a wonderful goal kicker. Um, you know, they were they were proper talented um, cricketers. You know, Sam was second team uh, at Leicester as a, as a 17, 18 year old and had to make the choice. Um, I wasn't that good. Miles, <laughs> sadly, <laughs> as I said, very enthusiastic, and I still, I still play now. In fact, I'm nursing a calf, a calf, small calf tear because I played for Hinton Charterhouse, which is my local club side now against Westbury. Um, steaming in off of well, my run up's off about <laughs> ten yards now. <laughs> so, what that transition then from schoolboy uh, rugby to professional? How smooth the transition was that for you? Uh, well, initially, it was it was very smooth. I mean, I said. You know, I mentioned earlier, I was, you know, socially quite awkward at times, I suppose, you know, quite shy kid. And um, do, you, do you know that we were at school together, Lewis? I don't know if you... I, 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 I knew was, that I, we had a connection, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't know what, how much older than me you are. Are you trying to build me fire here, Miles? Sorry? You know, we connect all the fastball and thing, me and Lewis there, and then you're, oh, you just... We've got the bases covered. Lewis Moody is a bit of both of us, Mark. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I don't know, two years younger than you, probably. Okay. Uh, but I couldn't. So those teachers you mentioned earlier, but because I, I mean, obviously our, our school was very sort of rugby centric, I guess, and you were, I suppose. I mean, you might not have been Did aware. Did Stuart Broad not go to that school as well? Uh, yeah, but he's sure, much, much younger yeah. than us. 
10 years, he's, I think, yeah. He's still of your age, Woody. No, he's well older than you, obviously. But, I, you, you know, he's quite rugby centred school, and so you were obviously the best rugby player in the school, so you had a kind of prominence. But I don't, I don't know if that would have sat well, well with you at the time. Mate, r- rugby was definitely where I found my sort of calling in life, and it was where I found, all, you know, any sense of self-respect and enjoyment and all those types of things. Um, so so I, I don't think I was ever aware of of being held in any particular high regard around the school for, for being good at rugby. But, uh, you know, I enjoyed being respected as a good rugby player amongst my peers. Um, and I, I loved the school, you know, I loved playing. I loved my time at Oakham. I feel really lucky that I was there and, and met those coaches that sort of propelled me because going from being an 18 year old schoolboy playing schoolboy rugby and being one of the best players, I don't know why, Waving my hands, you're probably not going to see this, but you know, I'm, what, why it's your, I'm it's getting... your na- natural sense of show and fabulousness. I <laughs> yeah, exactly, I get very excited about it. But um, <laughs> I was, I knew I was an actually good sportsman, and and that inner belief I talked about, I think you have to have if you want to succeed at any at anything really, but certainly in. Sport. But you didn't need to be taken aside. You didn't need to say someone say, "Do you know you can do this?" Did you Did you always have that belief? No, I think I, I always had it. I remember saying to my dad when I was about fourteen, you know he took me to Twickenham to watch a game and uh and and after we we left he said you know did you enjoy that I was like yeah um he said do you want to come back should we watch another one I was like I want to come back but the next time I come back I want to be playing and that was the sort of level (laughs) and it's so weird that it sticks in my mind you know as a 14 year old but it clearly just instilled something in me is that I love this game right and I want to come back and play it but to your question Miles about that transition yeah, it was shocking going from being what was a really talented schoolboy thinking I could dominate this men's game, turning up in my first men's game and getting absolutely rinsed by like the Richard, <laughs> Richard Cockrell. I mean, oh my God. I was like thrown around like a rag doll. I thought I was some sort of legend when I turned up and yeah, very quickly <laughs> found out I wasn't. Because <laughs> that with you, Mark, you obviously you, your cricket all come, comes playing at uh, Ashington or whatever. When What was what was the biggest step you made was again Northumberland to Durham. Was that you first um, thought, gosh, these these other guys are a bit good? Yeah, I, I would have said that just because everything happens so much quicker, so much faster. Um, the demands are to be more consistent or higher. So all of a sudden, if you're going into like first class games where you have to play three, four days, both 20, 30 overs in an innings potentially, and then you have to back it up three days later and play another county championship game. It's just very different the demands and the, the level of, you know, the batsmen are better. You might get away with more club level and things like that. So I think with the introduction of dog sticks and things like that, where or bowling machines, for example, where you can ramp them up to 90 mile an hour, the dog sticks can be fast. A lot of good players now play pace fine. The thing that, that gets people out is pace with a little bit of movement, I think. So there's been times where I've felt like I've pulled quickly, but I'm still getting smashed because good players, they don't mind the pace really. They're not, not frightened of it. Or, they look frightened. Um, or anything like that. When you're roaring it's, in. It doesn't feel like that when it's screaming at the boundary yeah. off that bat. <laughs> what, um, so what's but, your response then, Lewis? You go out there, you, you play someone against someone like Cockrell, you're rinsed, as you say. It's how you come back from that, I guess, that turns you into what to what you become. Yeah, absolutely. You know, well, for, for me, it was... It was um, it was a, it was a constant learning curve, you know. You you meet these guys that are schoolboy heroes, essentially. You know, the likes of Martin Johnson and you know Rory Underwood, who were around at the, in those days. Neil Back, um, and you you suddenly realise that the the curve of expectation, uh, you know, and your need to improve dramatically 
you know, is a steep one. And it's and you only find that out when you when you test yourself against these guys, right? And um and for me it was it was learning, it was learning not not necessarily the hard way, but it was going in and being tested and suddenly realizing that okay, I've I'm a long way off where I th- where I thought I was. And is that a drop-off point for a lot of people? Do you think? Are there people that get there and just think, "Oh, do you know what? No, I've hit. That's that's the I've reached my elastic limit." Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Miles. There's a point where you suddenly realise that you, you know, that it's going to be really hard graft if you want to make it, and you know, it's not just going to come easily. And you know, for me, I played my first game when I was 18 and 24 days at Welford Road. So alongside all the heroes that I'd grown up, you know, a year earlier watching from the common room in Warflands at Oakham, and uh, and all of a sudden I'm running out with them. It was like, what is going on? And you know, having an absolute shocker in my first game, essentially throwing a pass that hit Martin Johnson in the forehead and, and bobbled forward, and the opposition then picked up and ran and scored under the post. So, <laughs> <laughs> and he, he was holding me by the collar going, I told you to hold on to the ball, you little twat. And uh, <laughs> but, but so those sorts of learning curves, you know, you you recognise that it's not about you in a in a team sport. You know, yes, if you know it's about if you've got the sort of maverick in you that can create opportunity, but it's choosing the right moment and and having the team's best interests at heart, you know, that pass that I gave was a ridiculous one to make me look good. I could have just given an easy one that would hit him straight in the in the hand. So it was a two-year gap for me between, you know, really establishing myself then and that moment. And a lot. Of did you did you choose a spot in the dressing room, or did you did you just ease your way in, or were you straight in amongst the big lads? Or <laughs> what did you do? Definitely not straight in amongst the big lads. Eh? <laughs> I, I, if, yeah, no, I was I was way too shy for that. We used to literally have a uh, a sort of first and a second team changing room, or a first and everyone else changing room, basically. And uh, and it was. You know, it, it was relentless in the everyone else changing room because there was merciless views, <laughs> people hiding your training kit. They'd move the panels in the ceiling, and you know, you'd stash your boots or other stuff. You, yeah, it, yeah, it was it was relentless. You'd come out, someone would have nicked your keys and hidden your car. Um, you know, <laughs> so no, it was a, it was a slow progress up into the first team change. And I actually think it only I can't remember when it happened. I quite I think I. I got quite used to it. So players like myself and John Murphy, uh, there's a guy called Josh Cronfeld who was a New Zealand open side. Um, he came over and he was world's best seven at the time. He was happy being in the in the in the in the everyone else changing room. So, you know, for a while we were we were comfortable there. But I eventually moved over, mate. And once you get in there, <laughs> you essentially it's like uh, it's like getting membership at the MCC, right? You're waiting for someone to, to die <laughs> or uh, or, or something before you can get a place in there or someone moves on so but then too many people die you you yourself come under suspicion so you've got to uh, you've just you've got to tread that line so carefully haven't you? yeah mate. I, so, I suppose going, going to a boarding school does prepare you for that kind of environment uh changing environment which is just sort of relentless in retrospect malicious behavior going on that it's just so sort of happening all the time that it becomes you know it can eventually become a sort of white noise and you think well if i can put that Put that out of my head and just get the you know get the armor on. Oh, mate, I stood like a like you know then when you move to like a new school or a new place and you stand with your bag on your back and you wait for which seat you're going to get. So when I first went to the Lord's dressing room on my debut, I sort of stood waiting and then like Cook, Sack, Anderson, there was people in the corner and I didn't know where to go, so I just parked on like it was like um you know if you've got like the Lord's benches and then you would have like a single seat on the end. <laughs> I just sat on that seat waiting for a spot that I could get onto. And I remember I just sat like right close to the door. I still sit there now because I think I'll, 
I played cricket from that spot. I'm going to sit in that spot for the rest of my career. It was the one that was right on the end because I was too, like, um, I guess a barrister or anything to ask any of the big lads, oh, can I sit next to you? So I just sat, <laughs> sat in the end by myself. It's so funny how the hierarchy of, you know, in sport, how, how it can be, it can be so overpowering when you walk, like talking, listening to you talk about that, like walking into the change room for the first time at Lords, you know, it's the same for me walking into the change room for the first time at the Tigers. Like, terrifying. I was, you know, terrifying. Yeah. Who do you speak to? Actually, you've reminded me now that I actually walked into the first team changing room, <laughs> sat down. This is my first ever training session with the Tigers, walked in, just left, left school, sat down and Dean Richards was stood at the end and he stuck out his hand, these massive like paws, he stuck it out. And I thought he was, you know, offering a gesture of goodwill. All right, young lad, you know, come on in. <laughs> Actually, what then followed was he was like, no, mate, the changing room's over there. And he just escorted me out of the changing room. I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> Hi, I'm Lewis. <laughs> I had a table read for a film about, I don't know, about 10 years ago. Bob Hoskins was in it and there was a table read and I didn't know many people. I a few people, people were sort of milling around at the end and, so Bob Hoskins putting his hand towards me. I thought, oh, that's fair. I put my hand out. And he went, yes, I'm just trying to get to the coffee machine behind you. And I, <laughs> I just so sorry. Anyway, that was immediate. Uh, you know. I love you, Bob. <laughs> anyway, big Anyway, you've gone. Uh, <laughs> but it's so bad, but that, isn't it? But, but that thing, though, about you know entering it, uh, is that something that you're able to, you can obviously remember now, but as a, as a player, can you then think, you know, get to that, have that sort of empathy towards younger people coming into a dressing room, and you, every, you all know what an intimidating environment it is to come in to. So, is that does that help you sort of be more welcoming as you get on? Or do you think no? Let's reinforce the hierarchy. Kick, kick the dog. Yeah, that may. I think there's a bit of both. I think there's there's almost, and, I, and maybe this is why it continues. Right? I think there's almost a bit of resentment. It's like, well, that happened to me, so you know, we should we should we should make sure it happens to them. But actually, you're right. If we want young people to come through. You know, what would I have wanted again if, you know, if that happened? I would have wanted to be welcomed with open arms, yeah. made to feel comfortable, not made to feel like I'm going to, you know, stick, keep my head down until uh, I feel it's safe to, you know, pop it above the parapet. With Like you, Woody, you're at the game now when there's, there's loads of money in the game. Uh, so if you're talking to players of an older generation, they might be sort of slightly resentful of that. With, with you, Lewis, you, you came into the game, into rugby, how long after profession, it turned professional? Uh, so, so, well... It had started to turn in 95. The World Cup in 95 was considered the sort of first semi-pro. And then the summer of 96 was the first professional season. So my first contract was during the first professional year of rugby, 1996. Did that call, was there a sort of sense of, you know, I remember where, you know, early 90s or whatever, you'd like, oh, Tim Rodber's a traffic policeman and, uh, uh, you know, Rory Underwood's a pilot or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you're sort of aware of that that side of it. Is that was there a sort of resentment about you know you, you don't know how lucky you are to be able to make a living out of this immediately? Um, not not that I necessarily felt. I mean, so Rory Underwood was was there for my first season, and he was coming to the end of his career, and and maybe you know so he left Leicester that year '96, went to Bedford, I think, for two seasons, and and I felt at the time that was you know to to earn. Some some money out of a game that essentially you hadn't earned any money out of. I imagine for those guys there must be resentment, right? But they they paved the way, like you know the guys in uh, 1991 that made it to the World Cup final um, and lost to Australia. You know they they upped the ante for us as a as a nation. They brought rugby to the to the fore in this country a bit more. Um, and then in 2003 we had the opportunity when the game was professional to 
thankfully take it to another level. And each each era and each generation has a sort of, I suppose it's a little bit like handing on the shirt in a in a better place, right? It's it's like you all have a responsibility to to move things forward and, and be grateful for those guys that went before, which you know I certainly am, you know, all my schoolboy heroes that, you know, the the Peter Winterbottoms, you know, the Mike Teagues, the Mickey Skinners, Mickey the Munchkin. I had the great pleasure of meeting them at a dinner one time. Oh my God, they were everything I dreamed they'd be. Mickey Skinner had this enormous <laughs> mullet grey now, but it was still an enormous mullet. He was still huge. <laughs> he had about 15 pints of beer in his enormous hands. I don't know how he managed it. <laughs> and just a group of people around him and he was holding court and he just sort of was like, hi Mickey. <laughs> You're right. I mean, you can be heroes, but... Um, because yeah. I also reckon that just... you just want to get the coffee machine. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. also that distinctions within the game, isn't it? For the for fans and followers or whatever, you wouldn't make a distinction between who was playing the professional era and who's the amateur era. You, what you, what you admire about people like, like say for, for me as a uh, you know as a as a fan of sports rather than a player, like you know you'd, you'd look at it's just the fact that these are the people that have done it that have been out there and done it, and sometimes you're at some sort of fancy dinner and you're sitting at a table and you're like. God, look at the people that are on this table. It's absolutely ble- amazing. And the thing that I find sort of awe-inspiring is, you know, save you at the long room at Lords or whatever. You think they've been out there. They've they've done that. They've walked out there and done it. Like I would have gone to like the Oval when I was little and gone. When I come back, I'll be a player. It's never happened, obviously. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, so many people <laughs> have that thing. So that you know, the kind of one percentile or or considerably less. You know, that that's kind of what's glorious about it. I think. You know, you're both obviously World Cup. Well, finalists and indeed winners. I mean, that that's. Does it feel like that's the end of something when you play in a World Cup? You know, I've had jobs and I think I might retire now. That was so fun. Whereas, <laughs> you know, or does you do you think great? We've started. Let's win another one, mate. Do you know what? After after oh three, Mark, I don't know how you felt about this, and and you're obviously still you're still in the game, so maybe it's a bit different. But in uh, I remember in oh three, I was twenty four and when the final whistle went, you had this like immediate elation and euphoria and a lift of, you know, like, it was a total release of pressure. You didn't realise maybe how much we were under at the time. But I do remember sitting in the changing rooms, like in a complete state of numbness, just sat there and they had, I think they had a few slabs of, you know, Foster's or Heineken or something on the on the floor. And um, and I was sat next to some of the Leicester lads that, that were in the World Cup squad. And literally was just sat there with a sort of emptiness and it was so it was really surreal I was like you know I should feel like I want to be dancing around the room or you know there should be back I just didn't understand why I felt so numb and I think the the reflection that I have on it is what I really enjoyed and what I'd still enjoy about anything really is the is the build-up and the journey and the effort and the hard work and the you know the blood sweat and tears and the fact that you do it with a group of people that come through together and achieve it together so the journey really was was everything, and and actually the the World Cup itself was just you know the sort of the cherry on the top that said well done for all the hard work you put in, and then you want to do it again. I don't know how you found it, Mark, but for me, I couldn't I couldn't agree more with what you're saying. I think at the end of the World Cup, um, we had moved on from the World Cup, and then it was straight in the sort of Ashes prep. I, I was injured, but I was part of that sort of initial prep. And it was like we'd never had a time to celebrate or anything. Like that. And the, the feeling of something like an emptiness, like you say, like it was like all that hard work that you'd done. And then when you finish, it was a bit like, oh, well, is that it? Like, what, what's what's sort of next? 
It's that remembering, isn't it? I suppose that, you know, at the end of the game, the scoreboard gets set back to zero, doesn't it? And that's, you know, I'd feel that, say, with the days when I do stand-up, whatever, you're on tour, you have a, a, you know, nice night in front of an audience, you know, they're clapping at the end and you're, you know, bowing and waving and whatever, and then you go off and you're right, right, next time I'm stepping back on a stage, it will be to an audience of people that are just waiting to see what will happen and you're sort of starting on, like Lara, I remember Lara being interviewed after that, I think, 375 and going, you know, trying to keep himself grounded, I guess. He goes, yeah, but... I have done that, but each time I go out to bat, I start on naught. And that's a kind of, you know, there's a sort of, a, it's a clever truth, but it's also a sort of brutal truth, isn't it? You go, each time you do it, you've got to, you've just got to start at the beginning again. And that's why, it's, you know, the fun is doing it, isn't it? Yeah, it's addictive as well, isn't it? You know, that sort of, those those momentary sort of pieces of euphoria, they're quite addictive. I imagine Mars, like, you know, the, actually the closest thing I've ever had to those sorts of euphoria, euphoric wins at the end of games is, you know, standing on a stage now and, you know, and and we used to have ladies' nights at, at Leicester Tigers and you used to have to come up with ridiculous you know, dance routines in in small outfits. We did the full Monty one time in front of like six hundred women, which was terrifying. But at the end of did, it, did it did like, you go full Monty? No, we didn't. But one of the lads did. It's always fun. <laughs> Sorry, guys, didn't read to the bottom of the email. All right. <laughs> anyway, it's out now. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but yeah, that, yeah, that those sort of moments of euphoria, what you what you crave to come back to, I think, and then is why you why you want to work so hard to get back there. And sometimes you do, and, and sometimes you don't, and that journey becomes a you know a, a huge part of it. So you get your little. Do, do you get any adrenaline and cricket? When you've been playing cricket, do you get any adrenaline from that? Whenever I pick, pick, pick up a bat, mate, and walk out to the crease, 100%. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know whether to call it adrenaline or something else. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Terror, horror. Um, mate, I am so, I'm so, I'm so average at batting. I'll put it down. I'll get all sorts of excuses in early. You know, I'm short-sighted. Uh, got kicked in the eye when I was playing. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so my first, my first game this year. I came in. Well, actually, the captain was very generous, and he put me in at six, and uh, and got the classic schoolboy sort of mantra from from my teammates. Right, play yourself in, mate. We've got plenty of time. You know, lots of overs <laughs> left. I was like, right, right, yeah, play yourself in. First ball went to defend it. It was it was a spinner, and completely missed it. Hit my pad. I mean, in all fairness, I probably should have been out LBW. <laughs> First ball, umpire was generous, and the next ball I was like, fuck it, having it. And uh, completely missed it. And clean bowled, walked straight back in. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I'm averaging about 12 runs over four years for Hinton Charterhouse. So thankfully, the bowling's been better. You two, you play at the same level at different sports. What do you think are the the pressures that are unique to to rugby at your at the level you played, Lewis? That say you know Mark probably would would not understand, and you'll, you'll have equivalents, Mark. But what 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 are the pressures unique to international rugby? Oh. There's probably a, a really good answer to this, but you know, when you're comparing it to other sports, I always think that you know the pressures are are very similar. If I look at other sports, so let's say I look at cricket, I can I can I can probably say, well, the the difference in cricket is that it's very much an individual. It feels like an individual act when you're going out as a batsman taking on a bowler. It's like UV eleven rather than the team versus the team. Um, so I suppose the uniqueness in in rugby is that actually you can make mistakes and uh, and you can just carry on, pick up the ball and, and try again. Whereas in cricket, if you if you play a bad shot and you get out, that's it. You're walking back to the dressing room, right? It's hard for a a, a, a fast bowler in cricket who will make ball a lot of ball and do a lot of running 
but then there's also a lot of walking and, and sort of lower intensity stuff whereas rugby it seems like you're on it all the time and the reckon that it's like being in a car crash don't they? by the end of the game you took that many like physical hits so it's got to be physically it's got to be yeah I mean Mark Mark plays a sport you know you could you all had time to sort of sanitise and stuff like that during the game without yeah and, and it's always you can only play in the sunshine rugby they play in any <laughs> conditions going yeah, yeah. very much a summer sport Ooh, can, I, can I get a hat with a bigger brim please yeah I mean where's yeah, the yeah, yeah. Just sort of, exactly, exactly. that's what's that. sort of awe inspiring about watching rugby I think crikey being, imagine being in the middle of that terrifying well, I, think, I, I think that's the interesting thing is it, it becomes the your environment is the norm for you so the physicality in rugby was was the norm and and having grown up as a kid at the Tigers which was renowned for its physicality you know with, with the characters that I mentioned like Martin Johnson um, you know Graham Roundtree Darren Garforth I mean the list goes on um, they were hard hard blokes and, and he played a hard physical style of rugby not just on the pitch Mark what interested me earlier about what you said was that you said in training you know you go 50-60% and then you and then you're bowling flat out at the weekend <laughs> we didn't have that luxury at Leicester you know as, as a young man it was like every training session was a point to prove that you deserve to be playing at the weekend and literally the training sessions were harder than the matches sometimes because our second team was was desperate to be playing in the first team and their Wednesday defence session was a chance for them to prove why they should be so it was it was a different time would you never just take over so physically for me it would be impossible to bowl 100% all the time it would just it's speed if you if you think of Durham now they've played seven consecutive county championship games in a row where it's like two days in between so day off train travel play a game seven weeks constantly yeah. If you're in the in, in those in between days bowling 100 percent and then bowling 20 overs 100 percent in the game, it just physically would be impossible for bowlers to stay on the park. You have to sort of do like a a tick over, keep your body going. Is that was that always impossible for you? You could never just do a tick over kind of for, thing. For me personally, I I found it. Yeah, I don't know why I found that really difficult. I, I literally felt like every session was an opportunity to prove why you should be playing. You know, it was a chance to <clears throat> say to the coaches, look, this guy coming up, this is why I'm playing ahead of him. The guy that's ahead of me, this is why I should be picked ahead of him. And I and, and it's probably, de- you know, to my detriment, I had, you know, Mark, I know you've had a load of injuries as well, but, you know, I was the same. You know, I had so many injuries and, and probably it's down to the fact that I wasn't able to manage myself better, which is, you know, which is a slight regret. But then I suppose, you know, the reason I played and was as successful as I was, as a player was because of this manner in which I played the game and, and it wasn't just the game. Really? It, was, it was every aspect of, of training. Um, and I know that pissed people off at times, um, especially when it was touch rugby and uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was always a downfall, I suppose, and why it led to a lot of injuries. So when you got to captain uh, England, then would that be, would that be the sort of attitude that you would take out there for the whole, for the whole team? Is that, I know it wasn't for a long period, but was it like you You've got to play the way that I play. You can't. No, well, no, no. no I definitely <laughs> didn't want everyone to play the way I play. It would have been a short, it would have been a short game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I learned so much. So, like you said, I had a short stint as captain for a year and a bit, and I think it was eleven games in total during a World Cup. I really, one of my biggest regrets is not having that opportunity earlier because I learned so much during that short period of time. But in my first tour as, as captain, went to Australia. And I spent a lot of time actually focusing on everything else. So I focused on the sort of wider team, you know, chatting with all the physios, the S&C staff, the coaches, the players, the, the backroom staff, the, you know, everything, making sure 
that I felt I was covering the bases and that everyone was happy with what we were trying to work towards, which was getting a series win in Australia in 2010. And, and after the first game, I think actually I was 30. It was, it was on my birthday anyway, 31 or 32 or something. And we were absolutely pumped. Not only did we get pumped, I had an absolute shocker. So we had the sort of measurables as players were, you know, tackle completion, let's say for me, would be 95 to 100%. Basically, you're expected to make all your tackles. If you miss one, two, it's just about acceptable. Um, I missed seven tackles in that game. And it never happened in my career. And, um, and it was the best learning curve because I remember afterwards just, I was pretty devastated. I got taken off with 20 minutes to go. And I did a good piece of just self-reflection, I suppose. And what I recognised was that I took my eye off my performance. So I focused everything on the needs of the team rather than on my own personal needs. And, and what I learned was that actually just focusing on my own performance was probably key to the to me doing a good job as a captain. The second test, we we went out, we went out and won. It sounds a bit like Stokesy, this actually, Miles. Yeah. What what would be your advice for Stokesy in that in that in that regard? Then, if he's you know he's not he's not got a lot of captaincy experience. Well, he'll, he'll want to make sure. Yeah, he, he is it. Although he's like a big alpha, like I've mentioned in the press and stuff. He, although he's an alpha male kind of guy, like he's one of us, Mark. One still, of us. Yeah. He's still a big yeah. He's still a big carer, and he cares about people, and he'll want to look after everyone and make sure they're you know on the same hymn sheet and stuff. But I think. He trains at one hundred percent all the time. He can't. He can't do anything less than that. Um, exactly what you were saying. And at times, it's almost like wait, well, he's pushing it a bit hard here, especially with his physical side and top of his cricket, and then his fielding and everything. And he just just seems to just be you know a beast. So it'll be interesting to see if he can still keep that up as he is captain. Um, and I think that's what people worry about. Obviously, being an all rounder, he, he has to cover every base. Then he a captain and making sure everyone else is okay and, and got their house in order but I think because he's a natural leader and people follow the way that he is anyway or follow the way that he trains um, I think he, he probably doesn't need to do too much different and people look still look up to him as that character that they would want to follow anyway is that, what, what advice would you give to him Lewis if you had you know if you were able to leave him a 90 second voicemail on the spot on the spot Lewis well, what would you what advice would you give no you can you can ring us in two days time like Jack Leach in his sandwich <laughs> you know you know it's worth thinking about these things <laughs> yeah oh mate I would I would say just uh, just just be himself do it, do it his way you know but also don't expect people to to do it your way you know everyone has their own unique you know, they, everyone's got their own idiosyncrasies haven't they? their own way of doing something so um you know, as as long as you find comfort in, do, in doing it your way, I think that's because people always come and offer you advice about being a skipper. You know, I know, you know, the, the mistakes that I made were, you know, focusing on the wrong area or thinking I need to be talking all the time when, you know, that was never a natural part of my game. It was more leading by example. You know, I was not a great thinker of the game. I was never going to give any great sort of technical piece of wizardry that was going to mean we went on and won the game. Um, I was going to instill motivation. I was going to passionately engage people. Um, so just, I suppose, knowing what you're good at and, and sticking to that. You know, they, as you said, Woody, they'll they'll follow him, right? Because he's a, he's a natural leader. And then you'll learn all the other bits as you go. You'll learn how to work with people. You'll learn who needs an arm around them and, you know, who needs a sort of G up. And who can sit where they want in the dress room. It's natural. It's natural. What do I say? Where does he sit? Wherever he wants, let me tell you that. <laughs> I probably met you like once at school, you know, big school. I remember you 
I don't know, sometimes like you just, you know, you're wandering around with a tray and there's places looking at somebody to sit in the dining hall or whatever. And I remember for whatever reason, people in my year, there was people in your year at the other end of the table. And I'd never come come across you before, but everyone was like, you know, he's the, he's the like, he's the guy, you know, he's the sort of the big rugby guy. And I remember just, you just seem like a very sort of gentle guy. And we were, you know, you were talking to us, which wouldn't necessarily happen to if you were with people from other years. And that would have been, I don't know, what, 94 or five or whatever. And then, you know, what a sight that was then, sort of eight or nine years later, to be watching telly early in the morning here, I guess, and you winning that 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 gentle guy winning a you know winning that line out uh, that led to that um, that drop goal. Uh, I just thought, God, that's nice to have a, like a tiny you know. It's not, it wouldn't even be a footnote, obviously, but it's just a tiny part part of that. And thinking that's amazing that people can go from there to there, and I found that very glorious at the time. And talking to you now, uh, yeah, it still it still strikes me as quite quite an awesome thing oh mate well, so, do you know what? i think anything is more enjoyable when you have a vested interest right so obviously your name has come up over the years miles in terms of being a, an oo and following your um your progress and, and there's been other guys you know stuart broad um, who's 10 years younger than us i think you you have a, an affinity to people when there's even though i never met broadly and you know we had a, a brief encounter miles obviously at school do you two years younger than me i think so i know i look about 10 years older than you look like, <laughs> but i'm yeah i since doing this podcast with woody i, I mean obviously i've always liked woody but then na- now <laughs> no no i'm just gonna say when you get thrown the ball in a game i'm like children to the television <laughs> they're shouting up the stairs mark wood is bowling if everyone can assemble in the sitting room please you know that that kind of vested interest about it it really it's odd the way it makes a difference but it's weird, you know sort of weirdly powerful who was your favorite cricketers like when you were growing up what playing watching do you have anyone that any cricketers that you particularly admired or who you like oh, the, the ones that the ones i admired were always a bit like uh you know the 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 english lads that were the sort of steady batsmen like gooch and gatting um, I don't know why John Embury as a as a as a as a kid. Just I remember watching him, and I can't remember what the series was, but he he came in, and I think he must have been towards the end of his career, and he was like he must have been thirty nine, forty or something. I, remember, I just remember thinking, oh, I came. Ninety ninety five. He came in and played against the West Indies under Afton's captaincy when he was, you know. Oh God! Why do you always have to bring it back? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I've got to tell you, I've got to tell you one, 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 one name. So Graham Hick, when I was a kid, I remember watching him more than any other. And um, my friend at school, so when I was at prep school in um, in Berkshire called Eagle House, his godfather was Graham Hick. So we went to watch a game. At, would it have been Worcestershire, maybe? So it would yeah. have been like 88, 89. Yeah. yeah. And I remember watching him play and he was sensational. And I got my first taste of uh, cheese and onion sandwiches on the sideline, which were which was sensational as well. I don't know why that's going <laughs> I had I had very sort of Proustian recollections of uh, <laughs> yeah. Graham I, had, I had the privilege of playing a charity match. So just after the World Cup in 03, we came back and the Bunbury's um cricket cricket team was it like a world fifteen against a, a rugby fifteen. And um, and Graham Hick was batting, and I was in the field, obviously very excited. And uh, and he's, I think Austin Healy bowled a ball and uh, some rubbish, you know, spin just dropped uh, and got smacked. And, and Hickey tried to smack it. And I remember sprinting, doing like some sort of Bruce Grobler esque one handed dive, completely unnecessarily because it turned out it was just about to, <laughs> it was just about to land here. <laughs> but I did manage to keep hold of it, and I caught Graham Hick out, which I felt awful about and and awesome <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So, is it time for Woody's super over? 
Yeah, let's get it in there. Let's get it in there. So 90 seconds, mail to you on the 90 box. seconds. Yeah. Don't think, speak. Okay. And at all times now. You're, you're, you're contractually obliged to do that for the rest of the day, I'm afraid. Uh, but yeah, don't don't think, just speak. On your marks, get set. White spikes or coloured spikes? White. Favourite TV owl? Owl? <laughs> Favourite TV owl? Owl owl as in hooting owl? Yeah, as in... <laughs> okay, that's made it better, easier. Uh, no, I don't know. I haven't got one. I don't know an owl. Who is the most random celebrity contact in your phone? Random celebrity contact? Well, maybe it's not random, but it might seem random. Steve Backshaw bumped into him. Lovely, lovely human being going off doing mad challenges around the world. So, yeah. Your first cricket bat? Oh, it was a Zenith. Got it from Lords. Dad took me to Lords when I was 10. I think Gower used to use it. Favourite sandwich filling? Cheese and onion. Turning pitch or green top? Green. Heaviest item you've ever dropped on your foot? I once dropped a paving slab on my toe. That chafed significantly. Oh, um, have you ever been mistaken for a f- famous person or another cricketer? Yeah, <laughs> uh, not cricketer. Well, so Dirk Dirk Kout, Dirk Kout, Coit, Kout, the Dutch yeah. footballer, had got mistaken for him a lot, and I don't, I don't think that was a compliment. But he'd be smaller, wouldn't he? You're yeah, massive. I think it's more the nose and the sort of you know the the I'm going to say the rugged good yeah. looks. And your quintessentially Dutch demeanour. Yeah, we've got it. We've got into extra time, but I'm in, I'm enjoying it. So I think yeah, you should. Yeah, Mike Mike Gatton is coming for dinner. What are you going to cook him? Mm. I'm rubbish at cooking, but the, my go-to cooking pot would be a fish pie. My mates used to call it a potato pie because the lack of fish that was in it. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, you walk out the bat. What are you going to ask the umpire for when taking guard? Leg, because I can't play off my leg, so I've got to stand <laughs> on the leg. <laughs> <laughs> By the barest of all margins, Lewis Moody, class. Right, um, Miles. Hello. First cricket bat, you seem to be pretty happy with that. Zenith. I just, it was just, it, it's when you hear a name you haven't heard for a while. Yeah. It was one of those, to me, that sort of generation, like, I don't know, Zenith or Kipex or whatever that people would have, Hunts County, those sorts of bats that you. you See I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it was a David Gower. I don't think they're around for very long, but I got it from Lord, the Lord Shop, and I've actually still got it. So my son sanded it down, and it just gets smashed around the play the uh, the garden. Yeah, so actually, it just generally gets used to beat things up now, rather than uh, rather than get used to play cricket. Miles, would you like to give an example of an owl? Yeah, uh, I don't think anyone's ever answered the owl question, and yet we persist. Um, <laughs> I he, Hedwig is. I would have said Hedwig. I think, I think someone has come up with one, but then we got an angry letter about it. <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah, <laughs> um, Lewis, it's very, very kind of you to come and do our uh, podcast again. It's nice to catch up after that time we briefly had supper near each other sometime in the nineties. I'm glad things have moved on for you since that meal. Um, and and you know you are Mark. I think you've held it together pretty well because Mark has been very, very excited about uh-huh. us having you on. As as indeed have I. Mark has been, I mean, beside himself like a kind of. I'm just going to scream in the pillow here as soon as he, as soon as he leaves. It's been a bit like, you'll know this as a parent, it's been a bit like the run-up to Christmas. Uh, it's been <laughs> lots of, <laughs> lot of excitement. Uh, so it's great to see you, and thanks very much indeed uh, for being our guest. There you go, Mark. Lewis Moody, how about that? Uh. <laughs> now, I think, were you calmer, do you reckon, than I was during the Athers interview? I, I think I held it together well. I didn't, I didn't, um, I could have asked a lot more. I mean, it, it got a, a little bit 
embarrassing. Like, oh yeah, do you remember Roger from Oakham? He sometimes used to wear a watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It got it got a little bit embarrassing. Well, Roger was the only boy at school with a watch, and we all just thought this guy is absolutely incredible. <laughs> He's like something from the future. I, I did what I didn't want to pipe. What I didn't want to pipe in with is I've actually played at Oakham for Ashton. For Ashton. I was like, oh, you two are having such a, a nice moment. Well, we played at under 13s. We went to the national club finals there I think we were a little bit different than most teams that turn up we got the fire engine was called out because one of our lads sprayed deodorant at the at the um, fire alarm deliberately so the fire engine was called well otherwise they won't learn will they the fire alarm yeah um, we was, there was like dorms at Oakham I remember and our coach had a really bad back so he had to sleep on the floor and he couldn't get up so every morning we had to help him up <laughs> so when we put him down at night time to sleep <laughs> We would then run havoc and play corridor cricket. Oh, good here, you man, get the bed. We've got a big game tomorrow. <laughs> but we didn't care because he couldn't get up. So we were just like, shut up, we're playing. And we used to, and I think we're the only team in Oakham history to ever be kicked out of the swimming pool. They had a, like a swimming pool there, a very posh facility, six or seven cricket grounds. Most other teams were using the swimming pool facilities for things like um, mobility and cool downs and warm downs. Whereas we you were all drinking out of it like dogs. Ring. <laughs> we used it as a WWE wrestling ring my best mate Johnny Story he got us all kicked out for it was, I think the, they didn't mind so much that we were wrestling each other but when he power bombed one of the Harrogate lads and we were kicked out and they were asking where our, our supervisors were and one of them was the coach who was sunbathing on the grass outside I think that didn't go that well so we were, we were kicked out the swimming pool well, I, yeah, I, I mean, normally I find the whole sort of old school tie stuff absolutely excruciating. But I think, you know, I do. I just remember meeting him and him being like, this, he was a sort of school hero and very, but at the same time seemed like a very sort of gentle guy. And I did think it was awesome when he, uh, when they won that World Cup. I loved the way he played. Like, he was so heart in his sleeve, like, give it everything he had, 100%. I like to think that, you know, any sportsman, obviously, or international sportsman gives 100%, but you could really see it with him. That he um he was given everything every little last bit that he had. Well, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Middle Please Alpha with me, Miles Chup, and with uh, ninety five mile an hour, ninety six sometimes mile an hour bowler and Ashes winner and World Cup winner uh, Mark Wood. Uh, we're going to have a little break now before the next episode. Not sure how long for. Um, like a tea break or a lunch break? Yeah, like a yes, except like scaled up. Would it be like one of those, the breaks that take an hour and you have drinks, the Harrogate uh, Hydration Spring Break? <laughs> one of those ones? Or is it more of a, a longer lunch session where we can maybe, you know, fill our boots full of the Lord's lunch and come back refreshed and ready to go for the next session? I think it will feel mentally like that thing when you're standing at a train station and on the sign above it, it says that your train has arrived, but it hasn't. And you think, what's going on? When's it actually ah. coming? I think it'll be I think it'll be that sort of thing. So first you'll go, oh, it's a bit odd, isn't it? And after a while you're going, this is ridiculous, actually. We're being very seriously let down by these people. And one of the countries gone to the dogs. Um, yeah, I think I think it'll be like that mentally. At, so, at some point, there'll be another one of these. I mean, I can't really, you know, I don't know how. I don't, you know. It's just a short break, so we'll catch you soon. Thank you, Mark. That was succinct as ever. Oh, should be taken and is taken. Brilliant from Mark Wood. What a spell this has been.
Every day, William Hill has advanced odds on cricket matches. That includes flash odds ahead of the big games, plus hashtag your odds and much more. Stake limit supply. Odds may fluctuate. Visit WilliamHill.com 18 plus. Please gamble responsibly. William Hill, it's who you play with. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.